And now, returning from the depths of the barn, the highest altitudes of godliness, it's Yawley Loco. The people have spoken, I'm back. (laughs) So I'm here to serve the people. The episodes do fly off the invisible (laughs) shelves, the ones that you're on. They're the fastest to be listened to. Ooh. Faster than Nick Turn. Ooh. David, I got you. (laughs) (laughs) I only told him part of the story, obviously, in that episode about our little from that morning. Yeah, you did. Well, I did. You but told I, him my tits were hanging out. I didn't tell him that you and I were listening to his music, and then I got turned on by you, and I had a massive erection. <laughs> and it just wasn't the time for sex, which I've learned. There's just some times that aren't times for sex. And so I went, I'm like, well, I'm going to go take care of this. And you followed me over to the door as I on the other side of the door, relieved myself, you were playing David Nickturn's music in the door, which was hilarious because it's this song, Pandemonia. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun to say. I heard music while I was in the bathroom and I was like, what is she listening to? And I was like, oh my God, are you playing Midnight at the Oasis through the door? And then you're laughing on the other side of the door and it's like you're providing me a soundtrack for this moment. And then I come out of the bathroom and we high five. Is that what we call it? <laughs> the secret handshake. The secret handshake. Our secret handshake is we lift up our shirts and then we bring our bodies together and uh, hug. Yeah, this it's fun screen. around here. It is fun. I keep it popping, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. Our no. house <laughs> is a very, very, very fine house. That's right. Yeah, that song was written by Graham Nash, and he wrote it about his home with Joni Mitchell. So listen to it again when you listen to Our House. Know that that song was being written about his and Joni Mitchell's love and their house at that time. And that's what Our House is like, actually, these days. There's an unfoldment that's going on with you that I think people are tuned into. And I think people relate to yours more than even mine. Hearing where you're at, for me, just a minute ago, was revelation. It's very fresh. You're feeling some sort of thread with all of your incarnations. Like, you feel that you're a traveler and that this is a small piece of Yeah, and even outside of meditation, actually. If there's a lacy that has existed, and obviously it hasn't been lacy, but if there's a lacy that has existed in all previous lives and will continue to exist, I feel... Like I've touched into that. It only it lasts very briefly. That's amazing. Yeah, it's comforting. Right. It's What is comforting about it? I don't know. That's uh, ephemeral. If, no. Ineffable? Ineffable. I can't describe the comfort. I wrote this song called Astronaut years ago, and it was when I was in a really dark place, and I was in, like, a, I wrote it in a closet. And... And I wrote it about being addicted and not being able to get out of it. But I wrote it in the metaphor of being an astronaut. And I wrote this one line that always stood out to my mom. And it reminds me of what you're talking about. The line is like, patterns that you can't find or lose. 
it always reminded her of when you're you've had a dream the night before and there are faint traces of it throughout the day that you can't really mm-hmm. absorb, but you know that it's there. Yes. And is it similar to that? Yes. Nice. We figured out that which can't be figured out. <laughs> Literally our entire existence. <laughs> Somebody asked that I speak about jealousy or we speak about jealousy in the relationship. Jealousy has existed in this relationship for me. For the most part, it's momentary, it doesn't last, and it hasn't been around much. Have you ever been a jealous person? Yeah, I've never been like an intensely jealous person, but I also haven't like had many reasons to be. I'm I get jealous if there's I get jealous of beautiful women giving my partner attention. Like that's Well, how the fuck do you deal with that? Um, Cuz that's like most of my day. So it's 50-50. Like I work with jealousy effectively at this stage because of who you are and how you treat me. And I work with it effectively at this stage because of who I am and how I continue to work on myself. Wow. You're basing it on actuality. It, It was like the best answer you could possibly hear about how to work with jealousy, I felt like. Yeah. You base it on how your partner is treating you the Mm -hmm. state of our current relationship and how I treat you. Mm -hmm. And the other part is how you treat yourself. Yeah. And that's how you deal with jealousy. Yeah. That's fucking incredible. And those two things were present in a moment where jealousy was really experienced on a pretty intense level for me uh, somewhat recently. And like I said, generally I just haven't, had a lot of that in this relationship. I've really known who you are and that I'm here to give you away in a lot of ways and that you have these intimate relationships with people. And again, like you, the way that you've treated me has allowed me to feel safe in that and and how I've treated you has allowed me to feel safe in that. It's just easy for you and I because we spend a lot of time together, but but our time together is in service of other people and we're always talking about other people and how to grow and it can get away from being romantic yes exactly so and those are the kinds of things that you need to make time for even in in busy times yeah you just do um so so the jealousy moment came at that period of time yeah a great deal of suffering occurred with this jealousy piece being in the mix and once again i was reminded that how you meet a moment of suffering is where you discover new parts of yourself that you will now be able to embody as you continue on in this life. It's like suffering reveals parts of yourself that you didn't know were there. So you're recognizing in a moment where the knife has been put in you, you're recognizing, oh, I'm learning how a knife can help me in some way. You're seeing it as like getting an education. Yeah. And you and I both allowed this moment to reveal a part of ourselves that we were we didn't know it was there or we were not in touch with or we just allowed it to reveal. We didn't allow it to have us cling backwards, like right. cling to what we already know and cling to some idea and cling to safety and cling to comfort. Like, especially me is like, I was just like, okay, this is the thing. You, Your whole life is based in this. Yeah. Like your work with people is based in helping them 
use moments of suffering as lessons, as moments to reveal parts of themselves to themselves that they didn't know were there that are beautiful and incredible and will be the things to take them through the rest of their life. Yeah. So I recognize that this was one of those moments. You recognized it in your suffering, in the piercing agony of the jealousy. I think so. I mean, um, initially there was fight and clinging. And then soon after there was a feeling of liberation, knowing that like, okay, something can really be born here if you let go. Wow. You're recognizing in that moment that it's a fresh moment rather than, you know, it feels like, oh, the past is hurting me or the future yeah, not having. But, but you're but like, really reckon- allowed me to do that was all the work I've done on myself and knowing who you are and being able to trust the things that you were saying to me while I'm experiencing the suffering, the way I saw you handle your own suffering in that moment. So like it did have a foundation that I was able to lean on on some level yeah but i also considered in all of that this relationship ending and could i survive that and thrive in that and it was murky but i knew that i could oh and you found that you could thrive also i mean survival would have been enough to find in that moment i think for most people that would be like a really nice thing to know that you can survive yeah i just know but then Thrive came also for you. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, and that's also in part because of the other little mini deaths you and I have had along the way. Yeah. Where we've had some separation more emotionally or I, I mean yeah, sometimes yeah. physically, but I, yeah. but in those moments I like was like, fuck, I'm, I'm really showing up for myself, which I've talked about on this podcast before, but it's- I was just able to show up in moments where it was like, oh, I don't know if this relationship is going to last forever, but like, I still have all these resources inside of me that, like, Ramdas is still in my heart, and so that can carry me through. Wow! Right, <laughs> I still got Ramdas. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a real fucking thing. That's such a real. It's thing. It's a real thing, and and if you left me tomorrow, I would be devastated i would probably be in a depression for um, a minute like i'm not saying i would just be like have it all together i would experience a great deal of suffering i would just have things i would be resourced in that suffering wow it's amazing to me how most of the steps that we've taken to get to this place have relied on unconventional wisdom yeah unconventional daily practices within a relationship that is ridiculous that the two people who kill each other off basically every day, let each other go a little more over all these years, have not only grown closer as a result, but how is it that all of this is so healthy and so conventionally presented? I mean, it's monogamous. It's raising children. It's sharing a household. It's sharing responsibilities. It's all of that. And all we're doing is killing off each other and killing off a little bit more of ourselves each day. The old self, the old pesky self, you know? Yeah. We have really good mentors. Most of them are dead. (laughs) Yeah, most of them are dead. And the one that I have today, my root teacher, Lama, I don't think I ever get anything conventional from him at all. Even though he's full of conventional wisdom and most of the time the things that he prescribes sound very like 
simple and not mystical at all. But yeah, but that's like it. It is like really getting back to the simple. When Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche arrived in the United States, he was the 11th Trungpa, the 11th in a series of reincarnations, the 11th in a row, the same essence. That pattern that you can't lose or... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but he thought if Buddhism is to survive, if it is to flourish in the West, it can't come with all the Buddhism. It can't come with the robes and all the other stuff. Like It can't be presented first that way. So he dropped the robes and he dropped all of those conventions and he met people at an eye level and he dressed like them and he took their drugs and he drank their liquor and participated in their businesses and he ushered in Vajrayana Buddhism, a very mystical tradition of Buddhism, he ushered it in by being a very practical person. And so what I was saying today is what would be the next step of the next generations in his absence would be taking it even further into the practical and further away from the mysticism and the craziness of all the deities and all the stuff. Don't get me wrong. You should see our altar. You should see our home. There's deities everywhere. But it's funny how little now I pay attention to all that because the day-to-day practical life is full of all of them. It's full of every one of their influences. It's full of every one of the beauties and every one of the heartbreaks that they've talked about. And so it's funny how little I pay attention to these great saints and these pictures that are all around. That's able to happen because of a foundation of a disciplined traditional practice i mean absolutely over the last 10 years i looked at deities that i didn't know and i believed that since i had been kind of rescued and held by the universe somehow it was holding me even though i didn't have any answers about who i was and yet the universe was holding me now that i was surrendering the me that needed to be out there in, in the accomplishing world and so I started relating to these deities more, starting like wanting to have a relationship with them, much like our students do now, where they ask about them or they start to develop these little things and then they'll like put a picture of Ram Dass on their altar or something or start working with a picture of the Buddha and you start flirting with it and then it starts flirting back with you or it doesn't. But what I found is that it started to flirt back with me. Now it's like an orgy all playing out in the practical and the paying the bills and the taking the dog for the walk. You're able to do that because of the foundational discipline of meditation. Yes. There still oh, is right. a foundation of discipline. Yes. Like we haven't thrown all discipline out. Life is all discipline. There isn't a little bit of discipline over here and then a little But that practice. started only from that one. It started from morning meditation. Yeah. Yeah. It started from morning meditation. Then you start going like, you start wanting to have a relationship with it. And what I mean by that is, is after you've meditated, if you're, you go to work then, and then the boss is not in a good mood and they say something that triggers you to lower yourself, but you have this agency in this moment and you go, wait, is there another way to do this besides lowering myself now that a moment of pause has been presented in my day based in the meditation? Or you are me and you're met with an extreme moment of suffering where sometimes in those moments it's like crisis of faith shit it's like fuck all this spiritual bullshit like none of this makes sense i want what i want but if you have that thread 
and your your whole day is not turning into a meditation and you're not able to uh, reframe what your boss said to you or whoever you just said, then you return to discipline and deities and practice. Yeah. And you just go, okay, I need to up discipline. I need to up practice because... Well, and also you, you need to chill the fuck out. Anybody who's judging how well their days are going completely based in how meditation is going is it doesn't make days better on its own. You have to make the day better with what you find in meditation, which is just openness. It's what you do with that openness. It doesn't just make good days. And this is why people give up on meditation because they'll do it like once or twice. What? I had a shitty day or like, I can't do this. My mind is busy and they'll give up on it or they'll do it for a couple weeks and then they'll stop. When you do it a couple weeks or you have a practice for a while and then you disengage from it, there's this period of time and it's like a grace period for some people where they can get by. Actually, like all of the meditation has helped enough to kind of create this invisible ground that provides you a couple days where you can get by and it doesn't feel like there's any difference. And then before you know it, you're blowing a guy in an alley for a sandwich. If Trumpa were still alive, he was very into discipline. He was very in tradition. He was the rascal. You know, he was the rascal within all of still holding to tradition. Yeah. And you're saying if he was still alive. He would want the next generation to take it further into basic sanity, basic ordinariness. And I think that that's what we're doing. As much as I may be a part of this Tibetan Buddhist lineage at this point, it's in my everyday relating to everybody, from paying a tip to pumping gas to talking to somebody who's walking by with their dog and making extra considerations ahead of time because I see them coming. That's all Vajrayana Buddhism deep undercover. I do agree that we're taking it more into the ordinary, yet I do think that there are these foundational things that you and I continue to work with while bringing it into the ordinary. I have teachers, you know, I've picked a few people who I fucking trust and I lean on when I uh, am confused. The thing is, I could see myself abandoning that, but I can't because they're so in my heart now that I don't even know what that would like. I can't abandon the teacher, but I don't sit with a llama on a Saturday morning and I'm open to that coming into my life. Listen, I sit with Lama every Saturday morning for I don't even know why. Right. That's the truth about it. But you would exist and function and thrive and spiritually develop without... I'm 46 and he's been in my life for about nine months. Right. And him coming into my life was at a time where there was a very thin bubble to pop and he was able to, to pop it with just his breath. You know, and it was a moment in so many ways, in so many years that I'd been hoping that I would accomplish in some lifetime. And I'd given up on it happening in this lifetime if that's what was necessary. And I'd also found that like, oh, well, the, what's being supported in the Buddhist community now from the elders is they're saying that the new guru is the community. Thich Nhat Hanh was signaling that. I could justify it to myself that hey, you've become a teacher for people and you still hold on to what you've learned from Vic and what you've learned from all of the reading, all of the Nyingma and right. 
you know, in all of uh, Chokim Trumpa's books and like, you have great teachers. They're just not alive. And, and I could do that. So I didn't need it. And I don't even know why I'm doing it, yeah. which is compelling to me because the most important thing in my life. So that's very interesting to me of why I'm doing this. I don't, I don't know, but it does it make sense. And is it almost like written into the script of Jamie to have this happen? Shit, of course, you know, it's the most ideal. The question is, do we need a teacher? And I think we need accountability more. It doesn't matter if it's a formal teacher. We need some place of accountability because that's what I have now established in me. There's nothing that would throw me off doing meditation in the morning. I work it into any morning that I have to get up at four in the morning or eight or whatever. I make time for meditation because I want to fairly represent myself in the world and I want the world to fairly represent itself to me. And so I have that now. So I don't need a teacher for that. Now to understand the subtleties of phenomena and ways of getting out of the trappings of high conscious living, I need help with that. I've figured out the lower realms to some extent, but I haven't figured out these higher realms where there's plenty of trappings there. And so I need a teacher now to help me with that. But wherever accountability can be struck, and that is like, you have accountability, Lace. No, reading is like, for sure, meditation and reading. Like if I have a busy, if I have early morning session, when I'm getting ready, I'll throw on like a Ram Dass lecture I've heard a million times. It's what you do every day. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Accountability is good. You have never met Ram Dass, and yet, could he be more alive in your life? You can hear his voice. If you read something he wrote, you can hear his voice, yes? Oh, yeah. And what's been recorded of him is all that he had to say. <laughs> really, it's all that he had to say. It's all in books and lectures. And so he's alive. Try and keep him out of your life. That's it. That's, and that's the thing. It's like establishing that feels so like, cause in that moment of my death a few months ago in this jealousy conundrum or whatever, there was somebody for me to go to. There was like, Maharaji and, and it which, wasn't me and their invisible arms. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because in that moment that you're letting me go, I mean, you've expressed to me and it's the same way I feel about you. You're actually the one thing that I will not let go of. So all of my actions are in accordance with that. Always. I have an ethical system within myself. That's just designed to keep you in my life. Always how I appear or what that relationship is like is a daily cultivation of you and me. Would it at one point be without the romantic aspect? If that's the next right thing to do, but not at the cost of Lacey Delmore in my life. By the way, when he says that, I hate, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> when he says it's not going to be romantic, I get the wigglies, you know, I, oh, I get the wigglies. No, 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 no. I'm, so I'm, just, I'm just telling people like, the truth of my experience yeah. is that I get the wigglies when you say that. And every day I do work with that this can change at any moment. But those are level four wigglies. You used to have level one wigglies when yeah. things would get brought up, like sharing me maybe, or like, oh, when we worked in a treatment center together, I remember there'd be a particular kind of girl who would come in that would be assigned to me to I'm work so with. I'm so fucking intuitive. <laughs> and I know when some bitches are trying to hook up. And I've been right 
every fucking time, <laughs> by the way. Uh, like, I've been right. Uh, but anyway. But yeah, so there was, you know, that was level one Wigglies. Yeah. And then level two Wigglies is dealing with my ex-wife for years, I bet. You know, that level. Yeah. You know, and then there's level three. And now you're at level four Wigglies where it's like possibly saying goodbye to the romantic side of our relationship so that we can still be in relationship. Yeah. And I know that that could be on my end too. Like I'm younger. I'm, I have a whole forties to go through. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Like, I know that it could be on my end too, where I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, I can't wait to fuck you in your (laughs) forties. I can't wait. You are, you already are fucking in my (laughs) forties. You mean your forties are here now? Yeah, I think so. You mean in a in a the rebirth really? Uh, oh, the I'm re- fucking you in your forty millions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying the rebirth and that death. Yeah, I grew. I mean, we grew closer, and I I'm more attracted to you than I was before all of that upheaval a couple months ago. I mean, Likewise. you and I met that moment, the fifty fifty thing. We both met that moment in a really highly conscious way, and what every, could be more hot? And it still lives in me every day. I mean, I still have moments where I'm like. Oh, I get to. sad about it, and then it completely makes me alive. And like, I likened it to the same kind of thing that I experienced dying in ayahuasca. That death thing was with me every day after that, and for years. And I can still access it now. Certainly, it has informed my life, but I felt the sting of that death day after day and it just kept me fucking being alive and kept me going like holy shit look at you have it right now you have it all right now it's right here fucking what can we do about it yeah so it's that same thing like it, that it's alive in you it's like it's informing the preciousness of this it goes beyond the intellect that this is precious it it's, becomes experiential uh, yeah it's crazy too because it even changed my physical like the difficulties I had been having with my physical body. Wow. Those shifted. You know, I've recently felt through my relationship with Maharaji that maybe my difficulties with my body is the guru keeping me in some sort of state of illness, mm-hmm. for lack of a better characterization, to keep me close to God. And you have read because, that there's examples of this and yeah. it's made you feel and comfortable. And it's because I, I hold on to a lot and I, and I seek safety a lot. Yeah. And that's been my addiction in life. And so because I don't let go and have those deaths regularly, he keeps me close to death by making my body not feel well. But in this death, this recent one between you and I, there, it was such a big let go that like, it's just like my like the letting the release of the grip in my tummy and the, you got some abs. The, <laughs> <laughs> we can see the definition of your abs a little more. You know what I read this morning? <laughs> I, I was reading Miracle about Maharaji, and I was reading the section about how he would marry people and and about the family, and he was very like he just really believed in family and family roles and the sacredness of that. He thought that that was really sacred and something really important to keep people aligned with God, but he wouldn't arrange marriages for people who he felt were already married to God. 
I and I thought about us and I thought about how our wedding was literally disrupted by COVID. Yes. And we've never returned to an interest in getting married. Yeah. And And we're we're more in love now, actually, than we were then. A hundred percent. More than a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know. God, thank God. It's fucking would have ruined us. So protected. (laughs) I mean so protected. Yeah. That we didn't get married. Yeah. It's not like I wouldn't do it or whatever, but like a wedding and it's like all this money on a, oh, I just. So when you, you thought about us, about being married Married to to God God already. Yeah. Right. I was like, that's exactly it. I respect and support who is married out there. And I do think it's a beautiful thing for people to do. Yeah. God is God and God does not need any explaining anymore. Beautiful. (laughs) Right. The timeliness that at this particular time and stage in our relationship that we would be both reading Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche's wife, Diana Mukpo's book, that's basically explaining their relationship, which closely mimics ours. We had no idea the closest version of our relationship in the world is from the person who we've been taking all this inspiration from. Yeah whose world recently we've been invited into and the pages are becoming alive and we're reading about current friends of ours and their past adventures as our story is quite literally being told in this book, including some of the locations and events. It's uncanny that we would end up in this on the way to in a month going to sit with her and interview her together. What do you say about that? Oh, what I say about that is what I said recently, which was, well, I've always gotten what I wanted. <laughs> Give the early examples of this where you started seeing Spot in because it's it fun. It was generally very much like you. It was generally with music and... Like you'd be into a band. I'd be into a band and I would meet a person from that band. I would get front row seats to a concert of that band. I would know family members of that band. Like the one day I probably didn't like skipped school to like do something bad or whatever was seeing incubus at at sagebrush cantina in calabasas and i couldn't get in i couldn't get a wristband i got a wristband in a very interesting way through somebody got in there and then my next door neighbor worked he was a weatherman and he was in like the family section and he pulled me and my friend over into that section and we got to sit really close and then he videotaped it and so we got it on videotape wow. he made us a copy like stupid shit like that but like no over and over and over i mean again, and then though. i worked in rehab in malibu so you know like people came through there that yeah I admired and and my mom was there. I talk about this a lot, but she was there for a lot of seeing that, that that was something that was happening to me often. And then it happened with boys. I'd be like, I kind of want that boy. I mean, it it didn't happen a lot with boys because I wanted, there was a period where I wanted to date every boy I saw. And you've slept with, I think, what, like six people in your life? Yeah. Like you wanting a boy and stuff was like, you're not the person to get slutty with. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was very because of who I was. You know, it was like the thread of who I was. 
you know, and people opened up to you like tough guys and stuff like that. You would, there would be this thread of like you being a support for people also, which is sort of like the universe pointing to a calling, it calling out to you. Yeah. Or even this moment when like, I've told you this moment before I was sitting, I was like having lunch one day at work at passages and the admissions director who happened to be the guy from Die Hard who jumps off the building in the beginning scene. <laughs> <laughs> he was our admissions director. He shout out point. to Michael Shaner. He was shout our out ma- to Mel Gibson. And he was a fucking crazy son of a bitch. And him and I had a good relationship, but, but sometimes it was contentious because I thought he was an asshole. But he, he was an amazing admissions director. But he like... <laughs> anyway, he was sitting with me one day and he was like, Hey, you're like, you're going to find somebody who really loves you, Lacey. Like, and it was, he's not the person to say that. I totally think he was talking about you. I'm convinced. He said more than that, but it was just really like, you're totally going to find somebody that just like loves you. And I'm never going to see the guy who jumps off the building to commit suicide and die hard the same way. And he was also using his movie star wisdom. He was also the guy who like would send me to the rented house in Malibu that a group of our clients rented right after they got out of treatment. They relapsed their movie producers. He's like, Lacey, go get them. You you're the person. What you were like 20, 22. I would. And I just sat there at a fucking house on the sand waiting for somebody to smoke crack to get him <laughs> back to the play and like just kicking it with the people. And then I had a, mo- a director who wanted me to be his assistant. Like, wow. And it's all because of who I was, you know, like this is God forbid I brag once in my life. But if I'm, br- if I'm bragging, I'm just bragging that I was sweet. I fucking did my job. I cared about people. I didn't take shit too seriously. I was really honest with them. And I just really just, made my life how I wanted it to be. These moments that you experienced that we were just talking about of getting what you want and also the supportive side of you, the side of you that at 22 really had no business being sent to go rescue crackheads, movie producers, you know, (laughs) you had no business, no resume that would suggest that you're the person. And so I was saying that this is your karma. Yeah. Oh. The karmic thread that you're feeling, now, yeah, 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 revealing itself prior to your awareness of that's what that is. Yes, yes, and it's good for me to talk about it because I forget, you know, I forget, and then I don't trust, and I get scared, and I get afraid, and I forget about all of what I've done and who I've been, and and so this book, this book is Dragon Thunder, revealing itself in the way that it is, and it's so parallel. It's just like. And all the things in the book are in my life. And it's just like, oh, I've felt this before. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this feeling. But this is a pretty grand gesture. It it's, is and it isn't, you know? like that's Well, no, the, it's one thing. Like, the synchronicities or the manifestations that you used to have were momentary. and they Or they at least appeared as momentary, like flashes. And now you're actually, your existence is a synchronicity. With everything, as is mine. Yes, it's grand, but I really have to say that it's not. Like, it's important for me to own that, like, it does feel really grand, but it feels so familiar. It feels so familiar to read a book and mm. it'd be so parallel to my life. Right, that's true. It's it's God, now it's a very familiar feeling. Mm-hmm. 
and we still get excited about it because the excitement is super important. It keeps you motivated. It keeps you, you know, yeah. alive. I mean, there's just weird patterns in the universe now. Like that, the whole drama with Jason Siegel walking by our house when we used to record Mystical Cynical here and that time that he walked by on the air. And then my relationship with being a fan of Jason Siegel's and seeing him outside of our window for so many times so many of the years that we've lived here, just watching him walk by. And almost at one point, because I was such a whore, I had my like phone number written down on a piece of paper stuck by the door in case the perfect moment came where he was walking by and right by my window. Oh my God. Oh, I feel so compassionate for that guy. And I said, don't do that. He could ruin everything. (laughs) Yeah. I feel so compassionate for me that I was going to that length thinking that, 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 that guy had my, the answers to my life or something (laughs) that all that would happen. And then there's glitch of him walking by wants and needs the other time that you and I, the last time you and I did an episode to go, not even the same place looking in waving. There he is again. What? I mean, it's farting now. The universe farts. It farts out these moments. That's a fart now. That's just like, well, what do I even do with that? The Matrix fart. It can happen to you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. This would not be as fun, ladies and gentlemen, if, if we were showing you how cool Jamie and Lacey can be. It's that we're unlocking what's right in front of you. We're unlocking it in our lives, in our ordinary lives, that you have the ability also to unlock your world, period. It gets unlocked when you meet moments of suffering in an open and expanded way like I was able to do a few months ago. I really feel like if I contracted in that moment, which it was highly tempting to do so and there was a me in there that you know there's another plane of existence where i could have contracted and i think in on that plane of existence my life would be small and my life would the code would be uh, not cracked and 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 so staying conscious as often as possible, especially in moments of like being on the razor's edge is what keeps this fun and keeps this, the code unlocking and this existence really expanded and connected. That's the trick. There's instructions on how to keep the code unlocked and how to keep this thing alive and fresh and expanded and connected. There's instructions. There's things you have to do. There's things you need to, yeah, and the moments number, you need to meet. Like, And the number one is what kept you fed and clean yesterday will not keep you fed and clean today. That's right. That's you good. cannot guarantee any of it. Yeah. Some people fast and some people don't take showers every day. And it shows and it smells. <laughs> But the the accountability piece and the discipline piece are so important to to meet you in those painful moments so that you can keep the code unlocked and the magic happening and, you know. You and I aren't focused anymore on keeping each other accountable. 
That is a new discovery. No, we, that's true. We were it for each other f- throughout this thing, and it was annoying. It was fucking annoying to have to deal with. Uh, you might tell me something in confidence, and then later on I use it as an example when you're in this thing, but it's not helpful to bring that up in that moment. You didn't tell me originally so that I would use it as an example when you're having a difficult time. Yeah. <laughs> so those kinds of things. Yeah, or you might point something out of me that like is so not the thing and and how dare you because I'm so far away from that kind of feeling. And that's what I mean about annoying. Those existed and they were points to actually have to do the work on ourselves. And now yeah. we don't hold each other. We don't. I think that we might have a little like after the the death jealousy moment thing. I think that there's a brief check-in about like, I need this from you. But but the minute that you say, okay, I, I let go. I don't, I, I just go, okay, I'm going to trust him that he'll meet this observation that I have about our relationship where we could go in this direction and be helpful. For me, it's a regular practice of continuing to express myself verbally to you about you and how I see you and how I love you and and practice that love language with you. You might remind me of that like once every six months, but it's like, but yeah, it's me holding myself accountable to continuing to do that. Yeah, there isn't a you going like, hey, you're not doing that thing that I asked you to do like all the time. I'm, yeah, and I may just remind you, hey, I need this from thing from you. And then I let go. I just go like, I have to trust that he's going to remember that. I have to trust that he's going to, and I can because of who he is, you know, and then it's all I trust that you're going to hold yourself accountable. Right. I just trust you. <laughs> like, I just trust. I have to. And, and wait, have to. Is no, 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 no. I do. I, yes, no, you have to in a relationship. Uh-huh. Like, because if you, if what is going to be pleasurable for me every day going hey you know do that thing i need you to do so i feel safe in this relationship right you're not sitting around keeping tabs with a little notebook and like and quietly noticing if moments like that happen again or yeah i'm not doing the thing that you said i'm not sitting around holding you accountable i'm holding myself accountable when you have a connection to a path at the level that we're absorbed in it there's always this feeling to me that I have of that everything's going to be okay. If I'm not treated well in a relationship, I know how to treat myself well. I know how to uphold that. And I think that I would even know how to take care of you. If you and I ever couldn't work something out, I know how to still love you. And I know how to still love me. All based in showing up to the meditation cushion and practicing some very basic things. It's all led to that. Right. And this reminds me of like a lot of people will ask about trusting. How do you trust somebody like in, in the the work that we do with people? And I, for the longest time have said, like, I'll say that I trust you and I do. And I do. And you've earned that. You've done so much to earn like my trust, but I never really asked for that. It's kind of just who you are. It's what I see you do. It's just been this thing that's been born. So Uh I do have trust for you, but ultimately it's not about trusting somebody else. It's about trusting you that you can handle the pain if they disappoint you. Yes. That's it. Right. That's the only thing that you really need to pay attention to. Somebody's just going to earn your trust or they're not by the who they are uh, naturally. Like, yeah. 
if you start controlling, if you can trust somebody, forget about it. You just control you being able to deal with if they hurt you. You're, that's, very, you're very attractive. You're very attractive, I have to say. <laughs> you know, this is all like, it's so, there's so much like subtle letting go in relationship. Like that's what I'm like hearing as a thread in this conversation. Just like so much subtle letting go. Like, like me saying, hey, can you do this thing for me for this relationship? Let go. You know? Uh, like I'm letting, letting go of letting, my letting, dreams now as they're, yeah. as they're, as they're cropping up, as things are starting to happen, I'm having to kill them dead on arrival because I still expect because I get in like, yeah, there's another place to be. And so I'm having to fucking kill off all the beautiful things that are happening. I'm having to kill them in order to maintain peace. Like I can't wait for, somebody's email to email me back letting go is really fucking oh where it's at it's fucking where it is at. and if you don't do it voluntarily the universe will force you to let go anyway so you might as you might as well might even hold on then and think that you you know you might even be holding on and you're letting go somebody yeah you know it'll take somebody away from you or it'll take your house away from you or it'll take it will as a loving gesture as yeah. a protective, loving, it's like, it's always loving, but it, it may have to fucking break that beagle. It's <laughs> 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 a break the beagle. Um, <laughs> all these things that we're talking about yeah. are so, <laughs> what's the word again? <laughs> ineffable. <laughs> ineffable. I keep thinking it's ephemeral. It's because the word itself means what right. you're experiencing. You ineffable, can't grasp it. it's not, ineffable, yeah. ineffable. And it's like, love is the author is ineffable. What am I to say about it? Like, it's like nothing. <laughs> it's nothing and everything. It's nothing and everything. Yeah. You know, it continues to exist and then not exist and exist and not exist. It's a way of you and I moving through the world that keeps people involved and interested and keeps things fun. I'm going to say something now that I've never said on this show ever. And that is, if you like it, if you're believing in what we're doing here, you can share about it. It is you and I. Yeah. And wherever we are, it is. And so people have to come if they want to come. That's what it feels like it is. It doesn't feel like it can be something to put in a category because that would ruin it. It's, it's you and I. It is. Yeah. It's it's how we are with the kids. Like yeah. it's it's how we are with our parents. And our students. Totally. And our friends. I feel deeply fulfilled in my life. So to need anything at this moment doesn't feel we're very connected to our community. If we go out side for better or for worse we're gonna run into somebody we know we have deeply intimate relationships with our clients that border on friendship and i'm cool with that yeah and so we really get fulfilled in that way your your kids are in the friend zone often (laughs) my parents feel your mom feels like my friend more than she feels like my mother-in-law she's like one of my best friends it's all spiritual friends yeah so that's family yeah that's students that's you know that's the teachers in your life that's the strangers that's kind of what i mean by like wherever like 
like you and I, our love is the author, and wherever we go, that is expressed. Yeah. You know, it's right. like if we go to Ragu, it's like, those are my, eh, like, those are my friends. And it's like, but I don't know them all deeply. Yeah. But there's but a there's soul family situation kind of thing. Completely. Yeah. I feel that I've unlocked my calling is to share information, valuable information with every individual that I come into contact with. And I feel that's my mission here while I'm on earth. And I feel that I'm incredibly temporary and I'm ready to be used. And I have the support of my family, including my ex-wife and my father, my mother. Some of my biggest critics in life are now saying, go big and share yourself. And I feel that every day. That's the most important thing to me. And we need your help. If you feel like other people could benefit, share it. I'm finally over the embarrassment of asking you to share something that you like. Lacey's an incredible teacher. I've watched her now directly work with human beings in an unconventional way. The unconventionality has been unconditional love. And I've watched her do incredible work over eight years working in a, a population of abandoned souls, thick in addiction. And I've watched her reach directly to the heart of those people in treatment centers for years now and outside of treatment centers. And I've watched her support me and step in and be a stepmom. This is an incredible person who has some of the secrets of the universe and should be shared. Thanks. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I'm completely supportive of your getting out in the world. I know how much you can help. And I've historically said that you are one of the greats to my mother in the privacy of our, my family home, you know, in a really vulnerable moment. I said, I think he's one of the greats. I'm watching your greatness. I'm watching you expand our world and expand your personal world and seeing the ordinary magic occur. Like, I'm fucking paying attention. This is as good as it gets, and it's always been as good as it gets, so I know that it can get better. Mm. I just, like, trust this. And if you like it, talk about it. But, like, I want people who want it, you know? I want to help people who want to be helped. I've tried to help a lot of people who don't want to be helped, and it fucking blows. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm asking to be shared to be able to directly benefit beings. I think what we're really asking people or we should ask people is to take risks with their own lives to reprioritize what's important. Nice. What are your priorities and what are your values? I mean, like truly what makes you feel good and are you aligning with that? And if you're not, ask us to help you do that. Right. That's what really needs to happen in this culture right now is everybody's a fucking addicted to a moment that doesn't exist. They're addicted to the future and their whole lives are dedicated and fucking stressed out because they're trying to plan for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have compassion for that. And I'm stuck in that in my own way less and less every day. But like you have to fucking reevaluate. Yeah. Time is short for you changing your life. That's right. And people think they have a tomorrow to do the things. Yeah. And that tomorrow very rarely comes for those people. I am watching young people who are not drug addicts, who are, you know, not 
outwardly hurting themselves fucking kill themselves Mm -hmm. over a life that somebody else says that they should be living. It's so heartbreaking. (laughs) I've said it before, but you're really pretty. So are you. Thank you. You're beautiful. I think about that all the time. Really? All the time. Every day, multiple times a day, I look at you. I just think you're stunning. Oh, my God. I do. I think the same thing about you. (laughs) (laughs) I do all the time. (laughs) You know, we like listening to uh, Tom Segura and Christina P's podcast, uh, Your Mom's House, and... They have such a great entertaining relationship. Yeah. But there's these things that they do that still are just slightly off from how you and I communicate, which is like the sort of playful doubts and the teasing. Yeah. It's entertainment also, and it's comedy. For and them both it is. For yeah. them it is. But I, just, I watch people in relationships do that all the time. It drives me crazy. It's like this sarcastic putting each other down, but it's supposed to be funny, but it's probably hitting a nerve if it happens over and over and over again on friday i visited with my ex-wife and just caught up on the kids and before i was picking them up and this woman who i've known now almost 20 years raised two kids we've been divorced seven years who felt like she was losing her partner to spirituality and who was heartbroken over that, that I would choose a path over a relationship. And the bitterness that certainly was expressed as a result of that, six years down the line, I visit with her on Friday and she grabs me by the face. This is the most intimate <laughs> experience that we've had since. Like we're, we're that close and she's holding my face and she said, Jamie, you are beautiful. I believe in you as a human being and what you're doing here on the planet. I totally believe in you. And it must have been so hard to have so many people doubt you along the way and doubt that this was really what was going on with you. She said, I've watched you unlock all the worlds that you've been reading and all of what you've been involved in. And I just believe in you. And she starts crying and we're crying there in joy. It's a big moment in my life. If I've convinced her, to me, that's somebody who lost me to the thing that she's now congratulating me on, which is that death. We should ask her about her spiritual practice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that moment would not exist without my consistency. Of course not. No way. I've just been consistently this person who... So consistent. I've just been consistently compassionate and loving and consistent with the kids. And so now she can have that moment with me. It wasn't some flash thing or that would burn itself out. It's the biggest part of my life. She knows that it's even bigger than my relationship with you. She's like, how are you guys? Even Lacey. And I was like, well, we both are second in each other's lives. (laughs) It's perfect. It's a close second. I love you. I love you.